Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This is the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel the more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast and this is a little bit of a different episode. Now as a reminder, if you're a regular listener to our podcast, you will know that after five episodes of season four, we had our Bridging the Gap episode and at the end of the Bridging Gap episode, we had said that Cindy and I will be taking a break over the summer months and filling in that break with some creativity tip episodes and then also some throwback episodes. So this is actually our first throwback episode. Now, just to provide a little bit of context for a throwback episode, it's not an original idea. It's something that other podcasters do. And you go back and you find an episode from your past and you re-release it and obviously provide an introduction like this that uh, offers context to the conversation. So what we're thinking about is looking at season one because we think some of our listeners might not actually have had an opportunity to listen to some of the great conversations we had when we first started out producing this podcast, which was back in the winter of 2021. So we're still relatively new. But during that first season, we had some really great conversations. And one of those conversations was with an education administrator, Colvin Atwell. So Dr. Colvin Atwell is is educated in East London and has been head teacher there for nine years of a school he attended as a child. So he also wrote the book, The Thinking School, Developing a Dynamic Learning Community. And we think his episode is absolutely wonderful for administrators who are looking to build a climate and culture for creativity in the school. So without further ado, we hope you enjoy this episode. Calvarn, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's lovely to be joining you today. So I would love to learn more about what you are referring to as a thinking school. Okay, so yeah, my background has been a passion and interest in how teachers learn. So as part of my doctoral research, I was examining all the factors that impact upon teacher engagement in learning. And on the third year of my uh, doctoral uh, research, I was introduced to workplace learning theories, which really looks at um, the social environment in a workplace and how it impacts upon on, on workers' learning. So I studied other workplaces like construction sites and steel workers, hairdressing salons. And what I realized is that the actual quality of teacher learning experiences in, in, in most schools is really poor. Um, and that was a shock because um, the greatest single factor that impacts upon the quality of children's learning in schools, students' learning, is quite for, straightforward. It's the quality of teaching. Okay, um, and and if you take out all the factors to do with the home and disadvantage, the quality of teaching is fundamental to students' outcomes. And what I realised was that therefore the second most important. Um, uh, factor in a school is is the leadership. Now, if you marry the two, um, and school leaders actually focus their energies on staff learning, teacher professional learning, that could be the most fundamental driver in enabling 
student success. So a thinking school is a school in which we are as interested in the quality of the adults thinking creativity learning as we are in the students because the most fundamental fundamental way i can impact on a thousand children in my school is through the teachers so just a simple way of looking at it is i look at the staff in the same way i want them to look at their students i want to 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 look at where every teacher is in their learning and to challenge them to continue to engage in collaborative research, work together to be the best they can possibly be. And in the best schools, the, the teachers have the greatest impact on the, the most vulnerable children. Colvin, listening to that response, it seems to me that a big concept of the thinking school is working through trial and error. Teachers identifying problems and using their knowledge and experience to produce solutions in the classroom. But the culture of education doesn't necessarily accommodate this type of approach to teaching and learning. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about why you think that might be, and most importantly, how you're personally working to change this culture within your schools. Getting it wrong again and again is a, is, is a way of getting it right. Learning from misconceptions, learning from mistakes. But the cultures that we have in schools are absolutely the opposite. There is an over-reliance on a culture of hierarchy, compliance and control. So school leaders will tell teachers what they need to do and monitor the hell out of them to make sure they're doing it. Eventually, teachers stop bringing their brains to work because they're too busy playing safe. You then have teachers teaching within a, within a, a culture of over-reliance on examinations, so assessing that which is easily assessed. So, so children stop taking risks. So what we're measuring in schools is th- the ability of children to regurgitate knowledge in written exams when instead if we wanted to nurture creativity we would want to have a way of enabling children to be in situations where they make mistakes they take risks they think creatively creatively if you're not doing that for the adults in your school then they're not going to be able to do that for the students. And just a point um, uh, about my work in the school that I'm currently leading where I've been for nine years when I when I when I first went to the school, that school was put in a, a Ofsted category of requiring improvement, which means it's a failing school. Now, when I, my boss or advisor, whoever you want to call it, who will remain anonymous, um, asked me what my plan was, I said my plan was to empower the staff, to enable them to engage in collaborative research, to be creative, to be critical, to design the curriculum. You know, this is only a a, a short podcast, but she actually turned around and she said that you're mad. You can't do that. You're going to observe each teacher. You're going to judge them. You're going to give them targets for improvement. Now, those very same teachers who were told they weren't good enough under all that pressure were empowered and released to lead the decision making across the school. They are the same very same people who then led that school to be graded outstanding in every area. And I think certainly in the UK, we lose too many teachers to the profession between the third and the fifth year burned out, not because they don't enjoy teaching or they don't want to work with their students, but because um, of the pressures they're under. So uh, uh, in a nutshell, you've got to create a culture of of, uh, risk taking and creativity amongst the staff and enable and empower them. And school leaders have a lot to answer for. One of the things that I particularly value in my research is focusing on teacher creativity as a way to almost increase the knowledge needed to support the teaching of creativity in the classroom. 
And I think your reference to the trickle-down effect is addressing exactly that. So what are the three things school leaders can do to begin the process of encouraging and supporting the creativity of teachers? Okay, so one of the things that happens too often in schools is individual teachers working in isolation with their doors closed. Okay, so collaboration is an untapped tool that we can we can draw upon within our schools. So if, if we take that, that would teachers plan collaboratively, they engage in research collaboratively, they evaluate collaboratively, and we move away from a culture of judgment or lesson observations in which teachers are graded more towards collaborative learning, dialogue, thinking. And we use the Japanese have been using lesson study for over 100 years as, a, as, a, as a, what they call a research lesson to enable teachers to think more deeply about their practice. So the second one is unlocking the informal learning environment in a school to enable teachers to see their role as continually growing and continually developing. There was a fascinating piece of research came out of Chicago, a large-scale piece of research by, by Kraft and Pape that argued that the average teacher stops improving in their third year because they've maybe established some strategies in their first couple of years and they're playing safe. Now, we wouldn't allow that in any other industry. In the tech world, would we say that, right, we've established this product now, we're going to just keep it the same. No, create a culture in your school in which you're continually innovating, growing, watching each other, learning from each other, engaging in research. Final point, and it's just something I was writing in my book yesterday. People are, you know, in the UK often look at other countries and say, why are they so successful? So they look at Finland for example, um, who, which is a country that has one of the narrowest gaps between the lowest performing children and the highest performing or the lowest performing schools and the highest performing schools. Every teacher in Finland is required to have a master's degree. And, and that, to me, is investing in your staff. The number of teachers in the UK to have a master's degree is somewhere between 2 and 3%. In our schools, we pay over 60% towards every teacher to undertake a master's degree because that is the greatest investment we can make for our students by simply the better we are as teachers, the better we are for our students. And the final point is tomorrow I expect to be a better teacher than I am today and I also expect to be a better leader. And that mentality has to go right through. And too often in schools people are – established in their strategies and stick with their strategies and look to the students to change rather than maybe change what they're doing. So Calvern, I'm really curious. Um, I'm sure this is something that's going through every administrator's mind as they're listening to you, because there's so much that I, I think is in parallel with creative thinking and the thinking school in terms of risk taking and, and designing the culture. I mean, I think a thinking school is a creative school. Um, but what I'm wondering is for every administrator who's listening, when you have a teacher who's tenured, who's been around for 25 years, who is very set in their ways, what advice would you give to them to spark that curiosity again in their teachers who just don't seem to want to continue their own professional development? Well, it's, a, it's a, not only a very interesting question, but it's a question that I'm often asked. Um, uh, and and um, I'm asked that whether I'm working with 
principles from Australia or in Oslo or, or in the UK. Um, and what, what I found and what my research has found, that it's, it's less down to the years that a person's been working and more down to the, what we describe as their individual dispositions to learning. Um, and what you do if someone's quite fixed in their in their mindset, you give them as many opportunities um, in in situations of high trust um, uh, to enable them to consider and reflect upon their practice. And collaboration is a really uh, straightforward way of enabling that. So, if so it, what I would expect someone to do of that experience is to give them more opportunities to go and see other teachers, more opportunities to engage in dialogue without having to report back or without having to 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 say your target is to change this or your target is to change that. The other thing to do is to create a culture in which you want actively ask people to talk about what they're good at as well, appreciative inquiry. Share what you're really good at and share the one thing that you would like to improve. And you've got to lead by example. So, you know, I, I one thing I had to do when I first went to, to a school was to actually talk about areas of my practice that I developed that I really weren't good at. And the thing about teaching is it's such a complex activity that no one's brilliant at everything. It's almost impossible. So, you rather than targeting the individual, I would give them as many opportunities to work in different groups, work in different groups, work in different departments, work with different people, get their perspective. But usually it's a fear of change. And the reason why teachers fear change is because if you tell a teacher to do something differently, you're implying to them that perhaps what they were doing before was wrong. And I think we change the culture from judging to one of what well, we're continually learning and growing and developing, and you've got these fantastic skills over 20 years, what's the next skill you want to develop? Um, and so this about my argument for creating a dynamic learning community in the thinking school is that sometimes, and I'm going to be really honest, it is down to the individual whether they choose to engage in the professional learning on offer. But what you are going to say is this is what we value at our school, this is what we want us to achieve, and maybe this isn't always the right, this might not be the right place for everybody, but this is how we're working, and we're not going to deviate from that. And that's happened at each of the schools that I've led three times. And now I'm going to flip that question. So uh, for all those teachers out there that are listening and saying, wow, I really agree with this. I really want to continue my own professional development, my own um, thinking, my own, I want to try, you know, taking more risks in my classroom, but they have the leadership that is saying to them, we want you, you know, here we have, a, here in the United States, we have a lot of teachers that I work with that say, well, I need, a, I have a script. So, you know, I walk into a classroom and I have to be on the same page as the, the person in the classroom next to me. So there's all these paradigms and restrictions to even not even think about taking risks because they have so much that they need to make sure they're adhering to. So what advice would you give to them who crave that professional development, but don't have that opportunity? Well, it's really interesting you, you, you asked that question because I'm, that, that's actually what I'm writing about at this moment. And I, and I do find it challenging because I don't want to be unnecessarily critical of administrators, principals, head teachers, whatever description you want to use. But I do think we need to be challenging because in, in every school I've led, the issue, and, and particularly with schools that are failing, the issue is never with the teachers, 
it is usually with the leadership. And I'm, I'm afraid that the, t- the teacher you've just described, I can see him or her in, in their classroom. And I think there are limitations for teachers if they are working within a culture. For example, what you've described as a script, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I went into there's a um, currently head of two schools and I was I've been in the second school for about 15 months and the school had been told it's requiring improvement by Ofsted. Now, when I first went into the school, the culture was everybody has to do the same thing. Okay, because that's what they think consistency is. That is not consistency. Consistency is consistency of values, consistency of expectations, consistency of aspirations, not consistency. We do the same thing because that you're not going to get the outcomes for the children. There were 20 uh, classes in the what we call key stage two, which is like your grade uh, three to six. Every class had the children sitting in rows in pairs facing the front. And, and almost all of them were in silence. And after a while, I went through and I thought the, the, these are environments which are stifling dialogue, stifling creativity. I, I asked a teacher, why have you got them in rows like this? He didn't know. And I said, but they can only talk to the person next to them. They can't talk to anybody else. And so rather than going in and saying, right, this this has got to change, everyone's got to do this differently, I invited all 20 of those teachers on the Friday afternoon. I said, listen, guys, on Monday, you don't have to have your children in rows. If you want to have your children in rows and it's really working for you, do it. If you don't, you want to have them in tables or groups or horseshoe, whatever you want to do, you can do. How many of those 20 teachers still had those children sitting in rows? Not one. I think the takeaway from that story is that we all have the capacity to engage in professional learning through research, participating in a master's program and use this learning to ask questions about our practice, about our environment, to ask questions of our administrators. And that can help produce the change from within the system. Well, Carl Vaughan, we're beginning to run out of time, but at the beginning of the show, Cindy promised our listeners that we'll discuss your next book, which I believe is directed toward teachers this time. So it is about uh, giving individual teachers, particularly at the start of their career, the tools to be uh, autonomous um, and, and develop professionally um, and take charge of their of their own learning and development. Um I've, I've probably close to, if, if there's about five chapters in the book, I've written two. So I'm, I'm well on the way. But, yeah, I, w- I want to write something that empowers it to call, call to arms for the, for, the, for the workforce, for teachers. Because, you know, the other thing is, particularly in the UK, teachers don't get a good press and we lose too many teachers to our profession. So I think we, I need to do more to support them. And it's called The Thinking Teacher. So that concludes this throwback episode of the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. We hope it's been helpful as you begin to plan for the new academic year. As always, you can reach out to us for questions or even ideas for future episodes at questions at fuelingcreativitypodcast.com. My name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. And my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. 